Hello and welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. We believe relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole. I'm your host, Katie Churchman, and in this episode, I'm talking with CRR Global faculty members, Judy Van Zon and Arik Costa, about emotional intelligence, or EQ, and how it can help us to take responsibility for our own emotions. This conversation touches on a range of topics, including what is emotional intelligence and why is it so fundamental to the ORSC approach? What happens when our EQ, our emotional intelligence is lacking or isn't balanced with the other intelligences? How can we use emotional intelligence to take responsibility for our own emotions? The link between EQ and locus of control and the benefits of building emotional intelligence in coaching, leadership and life. Marie Costa trained as an organisational psychologist and specialises in coaching partnerships, teams and leaders. By studying, working and living in Amsterdam, Jerusalem and Los Angeles, Arik learned to look at situations from multiple perspectives, which added to her drive to help people to do the same. Alongside being a certified organisational and relationship systems coach since 2013 and a front of the room leader for CRR Global, she is an ICF accredited professional certified coach and a certified team performance coach for Team Coaching International. She is also a facilitator of the Water Peace Mythology created by Halcyon Global and a co-active coach and a lifelong student of the Gremlin Training Method by Rick Carson. Her secret mission is that the people she works with take these tools and insights home into their families. Irit is based in the Netherlands with her husband and three daughters. She loves to run in the forest of Amsterdam and to read everything she can about human beings and their relationships. She's fluent in Dutch, English and Hebrew. Judy Van Zorn has lived and worked in several countries and speaks the language of people who are crossing a border, physically as well as emotionally. In short, she works with people who are going through personal or professional change. One of the things that sets her apart is her inclusion of spirituality to help her clients better connect their own inner wisdom and power. In her team coaching, Judy believes that working with the ORS model is a very powerful way to build bridges in relationships. It goes far beyond familiar skills like empathy and active listening. It offers a whole new way of looking at people and how we live and work together. Her focus is on working with corporate leaders and teams. Training others in this allows her to spread this energy throughout the world. For the last 25 years, she has lived and worked in six countries on three continents. She is now back in the Netherlands and, as well as being a senior faculty member, was the former director of certification at CRR Global. Judy speaks Dutch, English, German, Spanish and French. So I bring you Judy Van Zon and Eric Costa talking about emotional intelligence, taking responsibility for our own emotions. Judy, Irit, welcome to the Relationship Matters podcast. I am very excited today to have you both on the show. Same here, Katie. Lovely to be here. Always a joy to listen to your voice. And as soon as you speak your introduction, there is this vibrant energy already. So thank you. Happy to be here. And I'm very excited about this topic today, emotional intelligence, EQ, and taking responsibility for our own emotions. So I guess maybe we should start with 
what is emotional intelligence? Defining what this is. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great idea. Really getting to the to the to that basic part of what is emotional intelligence. So I think Judy, there's a couple of things that we'd like to highlight, and I always think that the first part of it is really just having awareness of our own emotions and our inner experience. What do we feel like? That part and um, our own emotions. What do we feel like? It's really like looking inside and being aware of that. And and why you said awareness so important? Because once we're aware, we are at choice. And <laughs> in the choice we are making, we can make smart choices, being intelligent, or maybe not so smart choices, uh, which often happen when we are not aware of what's going on. So it's really focus inside and being aware of what's going on inside. And it sounds like one of those things that's simple but not easy. Yeah. absolutely absolutely so i i think that's another key aspect of this is that sometimes i think that emotions tend to scare us Mm. tend to scare people because they can feel quite overwhelming i think that being emotionally intelligent also means that we kind of get brave sometimes and, and know that we can experience our emotions and that we will come out actually quite all right on the other side I don't know if you're familiar with the children's book, uh, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Oh, yeah. So in there, it's it's the saying of we cannot go under, we cannot go over, we have to go right through it. And I think that holds really true for our emotions. We just, emotions are just there to experience. Just there to experience. I love that, Erit. Uh, because there is something about, I don't know, it has an image, uh, the image around emotions is, uh, like you said, as if it's something scary. Uh, but we never went to emotion school, right? We've, <laughs> we've never learned how to recognize them and then how to be with them. Actually, I almost said how to deal with them. It feels like it's something we need to deal with. Eh? That gives it a heavy connotation as well. Um, but let's just experience them and uh, take them as a source of information. Yeah, so we hold a sense of lightness and curiosity around emotions. They are just part of life and the foundation of stepping into a relationship. I love how you're holding this because I think so often we, we end up categorizing our emotions into good or bad. You know, happy is good, sad is bad. And I think picking that up from a young age, we end up then maybe marginalizing certain parts of our emotions. And then, Eric, to your point, we don't go through them, we run in the other direction. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that's that's a really big gift, actually, that I, I received growing up from my mother, who always taught us that feelings are just okay. They're, all feelings are welcome. We can just have them. And there is a big difference between experiencing emotion and, and acting from emotion. So we, you know, we can be angry. We don't need to lash out. That's two different things. We have a choice, but just the feeling itself is not bad. No feeling is bad. It's just, it just is. And I think that was really, really helpful growing up, but <laughs> still to this day that I'm, I, I really feel that way. Wow. So Elliot, it sounds like actually you went to emotion school and you had some good and and foundational learning around it all feelings are they just are uh, and let's not marginalize them well then of course we're all full into the waters of uh, or scared democracy who knows what's good and what's bad and, and what's the side of us that we actually marginalize 
So uh, it sounds like a good foundational uh, piece. Uh, feelings just are. Yeah, and I love Judy how you how you connected with deep democracy because that is really what this is about. It's about having creating room for all those emotions and not labeling one as better than the other. And I, one of my favorite movies of all times is uh, Inside Out, where I think that point is actually made exactly where, you know, just by eventually embracing all these emotions, we get healed. So would you say then this awareness of the variety of emotions that live within us, the variety of different, I guess, reactions and responses to the world around us, does this give us more choice then in our lives? Great question, uh, Katie. Awareness always leads to more choice. Even if you are aware, like, I am marginal, I, I feel angry, but I'm marginalizing it. Even that awareness in itself already gives you the choice, like, do I want to continue marginalizing it? Or might there be something here for me to learn about? Is there some information here for me? So I think, yeah, it's the big, that's actually what, as Oscars, we also do, eh? we reveal the system to itself so that it becomes more aware, and therefore, there are more choice points available. Now, the invitation and maybe also the challenge is, of course, what do we choose and what do we choose for? Yeah, absolutely. I also think that the the awareness of feeling emotional actually can help us reveal reveal our inner system of self to ourselves and, and learning from that, like what matters to us. So when we get really angry, that can be a signal for something that's really important to us being trampled. Or if we experience joy, it may mean something about, uh, or we learn something about what's purpose for us or what matters to us as well. So then knowing that and, and sort of being able to uncover that within ourselves then gives us a choice to act and to maybe make a change. Like emotion can be a signal for change in a relationship. So if there's a lot of anger, we can say, apparently there's a need to change something here because uh, there's a need within the relationship or maybe multiple needs that are not being met. What do we want to do about it? I've never thought about emotional intelligence as a deep democracy process in itself because it reveals some of those parts of self that we might be marginalizing or ignoring and actually it holds all of them all of those voices even if they're uncomfortable to be voices of that system of me yeah that's nicely said it's voices of the system of me for the, of course we're, we're talking here about emotional intelligence being uh focusing on the individual level so so that is the the, the awareness of emotions and the deep democracy with regards to that revealing the system of self and these emotions that we individually may get awareness of then become also rich sources of information for the relationship. It's both and. It's, and we always say it's personal and it's not personal. So I guess I wonder, there might be some people listening who think, yeah, but I work primarily with teams. So I don't know how this applies to the ORSC approach. Like, why is this fundamental to the ORSC work? What would you say to them? Well, already in the beginning of our program, you know, we uh, we teach about the three intelligences, of which emotional intelligence is the first one, focus on I, and then social intelligence, focus on you, uh, before we even are able to step into relationship systems intelligence. We really feel it's the foundation, it's vital. 
it's almost like undoable to create right relationship, conscious and intentional relationship, without truly being aware of what goes on on an eye level for self-awareness. But hey, we are voices of the system. So we bring relevant information on a systemic level as well. So it's it's foundational on, on all levels. And I think if you think of the third entity exercise, how we really step in these three positions, you can't run from the I into the we. Eh? You need to go through the social intelligence. And so it's almost like walking the stairs, like strong foundation, and you step higher up and you bring along with me from what you know from previous steps. So it's it's vital, we would say. I, I love that image of the stairs, Judy, because I, yeah, that really, uh, to me, feels very true. It's the building, the foundation, and then you, you build quite a solid uh, building on top of that. And if you look at it as stairs, you can also, if you're at the level of the system, it's sometimes necessary to take a few steps back and go down the stairs again and check in with yourself as also, again, that source of information for the relationship. And it's, it, I don't see it being quite possible to be in right relationship with others if we're not in right relationship with ourselves. Yeah. First and foremost. Well, I remember when I did the courses, what really landed was that each of these levels, they're not separate, they include and transcend one another. And I think that's so important because it might feel that oh, RSI, Relationship Systems Intelligence, is the best, but it's really, mm. it's nothing without EQ and SI. And so it's sort of important, I think, to hold all of these as sort of a part of that equation. Yeah, I heard you say it's not like a Relationship Systems Intelligence is the best, sort of, and <laughs> uh, one is better than the other. No, uh, including and transcending. I, I thought that was lovely, friends. Well, well, what came up for me is that we always say we hold a we hold a soft focus on the individuals and a strong focus or a sharp focus on the relationship, but we really need both. Mm. And we, we compare it to this tennis match where we look at the match and we do, but you cannot have a tennis match without tennis players. So <laughs> it would be weird to exclude one of them. Deep, deep democracy on an intelligence uh, level. All, all are needed, all hold information. And yes, maybe sometimes as an Oscar from you, through your Osh translator, we are so focused on the relationship that we might lose some of the focus on the eye, but it's vital, it's foundational. Mm. Yeah. And this is really interesting because I have a couple of clients right now who would describe themselves as empaths. And um, they, they care a lot about other people, but often at the expense of their own needs. Yeah. And it's almost like they've dialed up that social intelligence and they haven't really, maybe it's um, dialing up that so much that the emotional intelligence is barely present. And that leads to them feeling, I guess, neglected within those relationship systems that they're in. Mm. And I'm wondering, sort of, what's the challenge then when this shows up, when we maybe dial up one of the other intelligences, but we miss... EQ. Mm. Yeah, that's a million dollar question. And eh? we were also <laughs> talking about that beforehand. Because I must say, as a practitioner, in all honesty, I sometimes work with a, a, a system, holding the system as my client, but then have a feeling about one or more of the members of the system. Well, you know, a little bit more self-focus you might actually benefit from. 
And it's quite, it's, it's for me, it's quite a challenge to reveal that back to the system without making it personal about that one individual. But still, if you think of the toxic behavior, stonewalling is one of them. So somebody that's not fully expressing the I voice is in a way, it's like stonewalling uh, the I voice. And I think that that was what, what was coming up for me and for us as Os practitioners, it's like the invitation how to still hold that individual as a voice of the system. It's not about that one individual, but the fact that you see something happening over there is impacting on the systems level as well, of course. I um, I love that framing, stonewalling the eye voice. I think sometimes when this shows up, it can almost feel like martyrdom in a way. It's like these people might help everyone but themselves. Yeah. And yet that is in itself a toxic behavior because you are a voice of that system. And so it's somewhat incomplete then. It's not fully RSI yeah. if EQ is absent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also tying in with that toxicity, I think that if if we're in a relationship and we keep marginalizing our own needs and we end up doing everything for the other person because we think that we're being really social, intelligent and uh, being very empathic, which is, of course, great. But if we then forget about our own needs, I think what very often happens is that we start to expect others to do that for us and to weigh our own responsibility for for feeling for feeling good. And, and that is still, first and foremost, our personal responsibility. So if we end up doing that all the time, I think we end up going to blame because we feel like, mm. you know, why are you not meeting my needs? But this is also just simply my own responsibility. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but it gives away our agency in many ways. Absolutely. If we ignore that that voice, that I voice, whatever emotions coming up there, we are well, we're marginalizing ourselves within a system, whether that be a family system or a team or an organization. Yes. Yeah. And um, just wanted to underline in it what you said. I love how you bring that. If we marginalize our own points, maybe we start expecting others to do that for us. And that uh, if we don't take responsibility, we usually, for inside, we usually project it on the outside, uh, expecting others to do that for us. As I was listening to you, I, I sort of remember the situation where I was in not a professional setting, but a personal setting when, and there was somebody who was all the time there for all the others, but I had no clue who is this person? What is, what is, uh, you know, I, it, it felt like very incomplete is a word that you used, Katie. And it made me feel uncomfortable. Like, who are you? Who, are, who is sitting around the table? Which I think is a very vital point as an Oscar. We need to know who is sitting around the table with me in this system. And everyone deserves a seat at the table, right? So I yeah. love that metaphor, Judy, because that's being in right relationship means that there's also room for everyone. And you have to take a seat, eh? Yes. Exactly. There's a chair for you at the table. Go take a seat and speak your voice. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And yeah, you wonder why why the marginalization happens. Uh, what comes up to me now, I don't know if it's true, but if you think of edgy voices eh, at the edge, where often the seed for change is happening, but it feels like edgy to speak those voices often. Eh? It's 
usually easier to just go with the primary and sort of blend in with that. But then take it, uh, really take your seat and, and speak an edgy voice. Yeah, that is asking for a certain level of boldness as well to do that. But how needed it is for systems to move forward. I think for myself, I always recognize a physical signal when my stomach becomes nervous, like, you know, just before you go onto stage, that kind of feeling. And then I know I have to do or say something. There is something going on inside of me that I need to express. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you have similar things like that, uh, it in the context of, uh, it feels a little bit edgy to speak my eye voice. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think what happens is that it's sometimes very scary. There's an, an emotion again to to say what we what we really think, um, especially if we have a history of of maybe uh, not such positive experiences within groups. Yeah, um, groups can sometimes be very unsafe places for people, and if you have that experience, I think to speak up to to make your voice heard can be very very scary. And I think that is then a signal for, you know, something important needs to happen and, and change needs to happen as well. So I think we can, if we kind of lean into that and, and see ourselves as a voice of the system, that will also make it much easier to speak up. It's not just about us. It's also information that we have for the system that needs to be heard. Yeah. The I voice as a voice of the system. Yeah. Not just important for self, but important for the system uh, as well. Yeah. So there's a, if I may just underline that what I realized as I was listening to you in it, that there might be a history. So that's another part of being self-aware, not just what am I feeling or needing or whatever right now or noticing. But like, what's the uh, what's the history that I've experienced in these kind of settings, and to be aware of that as well, sort of patterns that you easily fall into, expectations that easily come up uh, for you, is also a part of being self-aware and building your emotional intelligence. Yeah, I just think that that what you just mentioned about prior experience being so relevant, I think that is that it is very relevant to the experience of emotions. And that I think what might but also be helpful when we talk about emotional intelligence is to know that we that we are actually very active participants in the creation of emotions, of our own emotions. And, and at least that is something that I also really learned from a neuroscientist by the name of Lisa Feldman Barrett. She wrote a really interesting book. It's called How Emotions Are Made. And she describes there how based on her research, um, we actually, you know, we perceive certain things in the world and we perceive our own bodies, we perceive how we feel. And because we have prior experience, we make sense of that. And we actually give meaning to that by labeling a certain experience combined with our inner experience as, as an emotion. So, uh, so let's say we get, you know, our heart is thumping and we maybe we're flushed a little bit. And, um, she describes how if, if, if that happens in the context of a terrible event around us, then we may label it as we're really sad 
Whereas if we are just to go on a vacation, we're about to, you know, uh, go on our way, then we may label it as excitement. So the stories that we tell ourselves about the situation that we experience actually make us create those emotions. So that is where we have a lot of influence. Yeah. And coming back also to the, to the notion of agency that we discussed before, I think for me, at least that realization that we have such an impact on the emotions that we experience, we actually create them for ourselves. I think that was, to me, that was quite revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point. And you're making me think about, I read this article around how our emotions are also somewhat culturally constructed as well. Yes. And it was comparing the difference between how emotions are read in the Netherlands compared to the USA. And actually certain things read quite differently. And I know in the UK, sarcasm over here reads like a, a form of humour, but you take that out of the UK and it can be quite rude. Yes. And it's just interesting how emotions can also have that coding that comes from our culture. And yet we do have a choice. We could choose to maybe code them differently so that that, that sensation on our belly doesn't have to mean nerves. It could mean excitement, as it does for a lot of athletes when they get trained in this. Yes. And the words that we use, the way we describe the situation to ourselves we give information back to our brain and we kind of, we, we scare ourselves. If we, if we label some behavior as, oh, they're being defensive or they're being resistant, we, we get ourselves on edge to, you know, go for a fight or to, or to maybe to get a little bit scared. Whereas if we label that same situation as, oh, they're uh, maybe trying to voice something that's really important to them that has not yet been heard, we set ourselves up for a completely different conversation and a completely different relationship so we co-shape <laughs> that experience and and the emotions that go with it yeah. that's lovely yeah that's so true yeah and you said uh, we're active participants and in creating our emotions uh, using the word labeling and um, well that reminds me of what we said in the beginning Emotions sort of ha have a scary connotation, but they just are. And actually, if they're scary or not scary or whatever way we perceive them, we can take responsibility for that as well. And we have impact on, on how we experience emotions. And uh, I think that's also what I hear you say, Eric. Uh, so in itself, they are like neutral. They just are. <laughs> and how we perceive them, we actually have an impact on that. I was doing this meditation practice recently where it tries to get you in touch with the, the sensations as opposed to the story. Mm. And I didn't realize how much, particularly with my emotions, the story comes straight away. And actually getting just that sense data can be so interesting because suddenly there's all these different potential stories that come off that. But we're so hardwired to go into that autopilot. This means that I must be nervous. I must be scared. Yeah. And then to your point, that creates our reality to a certain extent. It shapes how we feel. Yeah. Yes. In, in, in Orsk, of course, we talk about dreaming up and, you know, we yeah. create the reality <laughs> that we perceive. And that, of course, has an impact on our environment, who then, of course, influences us back. So... And that I think that is where we have that choice. I mean, we, we talked about that in the beginning as well, where we can go on autopilot and say, oh, this is a scary situation or, or get angry because maybe for the 10th time, um, I don't know, the garbage was not put out to the street. You know, we go into automatic reactions. 
But I think being emotionally intelligent also helps us to create a point of sort of we get to this crossroads uh, where we can where we have a choice to either go with that prediction, like that means uh, you don't care or it, it's not important to you, or we can get curious, like what is really happening here? And I think that curiosity is such an important yeah. piece of giving us that agency of, in, in relationship to our emotions. And then we can also say, are our predictions actually correct? Do we, you know, we predict that something bad is going to happen or we predict that something adverse is coming at us. And as human beings, we tend to do that so quickly that, that it feels completely automatic. We, we need to be very efficient in making meaning of the world, of course, because if we, every time something happens, we need to really uh, start from scratch. It would take way too long. So, we go really fast and then um, we forget that we have a choice to to be curious and to discover what is really happening at this point in time. Yeah. Is this the same story all over again or maybe it's actually not? Yeah. Maybe something else is at play here. And I think that curiosity can really help us over those edges. Um, I've got more of a, um, a mundane example, but I was trying to get into the cold shower in the morning thing. And uh, for years, I've been adamant that, no, no, I just I just can't. I can't do the cold. Yeah. And someone said, get curious about the story. And it's sort of interesting because actually the, the physical response wasn't as bad as actually I was making it out to be in my yeah. mind. Oh, yeah, wow. And then when I started to connect to that, it was like, oh, actually, no, this is, this is actually not so terrible. And then over time, it became, oh, this is quite nice. But it was fascinating to get curious around that because there might be parts of self where we're like, no, I, I just can't do that. That's just not me. And maybe that story is blocking us from from leaning in in a different way. I love that example. I really do because it, it 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 just shows us that if we if we go consciously look for new experiences and maybe challenge ourselves a little bit there, we have such um, our concept of what what a cold shower means completely gets altered. In that in that case, I I don't think I have yet gone there. I'm still quite afraid of cold showers. <laughs> I can imagine that they're great. <laughs> I also prefer a, a lukewarm bath. So instead of what is emotional intelligence, instead of autopilot to being fed by whatever, uh, really being curious and in the moment, what's here now. You referred to, Katie, to meditation. I am a meditator. I think that's the best strategy, actually, to become aware what's here now and to realize that every moment is new. Uh, currently, I'm not feeling what I felt like yesterday or five years ago. There is only the now. And meditation is such an amazing tool to help us get in touch with that. Mm. And then be at choice. Would you say then emotional intelligence helps us to dial up our internal locus of control? Because whilst... You know, meditation sort of shows us that everything's constantly changing and actually a lot is actually beyond our control. Would you say it maybe gives us agency where we actually have it as opposed to agency where we don't? That feigned control that often we're grasping at. I feel that, well, maybe we need to do another podcast <laughs> meditation. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> because uh, there was something triggering me where you said, Katie, like... Meditation is teaching us that we are not in control. And yes, I'm with you on that. What it does offer us, and in that context, I think it's helpful for as a strategy to build your emotional intelligence, 
uh, is that every moment is new. And there is, you know, what the notion what we started out with, that emotions just are. The, the good or the bad is, is grounded in history and uh, storytelling that comes from history. Uh, but what's here now, just now, 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 and that moment by moment is. And so are we out of control? Well, probably to a lot of extent, yes, we are. However, I prefer the language being at choice. We are mm. at choice once we are aware. Are we in full control? No, probably not. Mm. Uh, but the thing we can control is making a conscious choice. It's like sitting back a little bit, like, oh my God, you know, all of a sudden, all kinds of things are happening. What's what's happening? What's the game that's played here? And then step back in and be a choice of how to move forward with it. I love that switch of language from control to choice. And maybe not to rewrite the whole model, but maybe it should be that internal locus of choice. Yeah. <laughs> that feels more apt here for what emotional intelligence gives us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that too. I, th- I think that's the... The whole idea of the locus of control is that it really ties back to that sense of agency that we have influence. We have influence over what's happening to us. We're not sort of just dependent on others for feeling a certain way. Nobody can make us feel a certain way. Like very often people say, yeah, you make me feel angry or something. It doesn't, I don't think at least it works that way. So we have more agency control. I, I, I agree with Judy that I wouldn't really use that word because emotions are not there to be controlled. They're there to be experienced, but we, we have influence. I think locus of influence would be great too. So, because one really important way that we can influence our emotions is to is to be aware of the fact that how we feel, our bo- how our bodies feel, has a big impact on how emotional we get. Like if, if we take good care of ourselves, and I think, you know, meditating might be a great way to do that, but also getting enough sleep and eating well and spending time with our loved ones. I, I know that if I feel a little bit down, that spending time with my daughters and just hanging out and having fun is one of the greatest ways for me to to feel better again. So making sure that we take good care of ourselves makes us much more of influence on our emotions. And if we don't sleep enough, we get quite uh, emotional, most of us, or eat if we don't eat. I know, no, you're probably familiar with the, I love the word getting hangry, you know, when we... Yes. <laughs> I think that is so true. If we, you know, I, I used to have that for years. If I didn't eat in time, I would be like, oh, my blood sugar is, is down. But I didn't realize it at the time. So I would get so upset with everyone. <laughs> and then I learned that it's probably wiser to eat a bit. And things look completely different. <laughs> I love where you're pointing us because I think the body is such a resource. And quite often we try and think our way out of emotions. When I'm doing presentation skills training with people, I'll often talk about the body first because if you're sitting down, for example, as many of us do in our home offices, um, it's going to have a certain impact. We're going to release certain chemicals in the brain. Whereas if we stand up or have our shoulders back at the very least, that's going to send different uh, chemicals to the brain. And I love the idea. And it's, it's a little known fact that there's more pathways from the body to the brain than the brain to the body. And I just don't think we, we use this fantastic resource enough to change our state. And so I love the, the influence piece because I, I think we do probably have more influence than we actually tap into. Yes, I really believe that. 
there's sort of maybe maybe this is a side street I'm stepping into. I don't know, but it feels like up until now we've been talking a lot about you know walking the stair upwards. Like emotional intelligence is the foundation to step into the other intelligences, and they're all very important. It's almost like let's walk down the stairs as well. Mm. What does systems intelligence has to offer? To the other levels, and then specifically given the topic of uh, what does it have to offer for emotional intelligence? Ooh, I love that. Mm. I think actually that being in relationship and the way we learn about that through us, like being in conscious and intentional relationship and developing that we awareness, I've learned so much about myself because of that. And by being in relationship and awareness of what's going on there, if I now walk down the steps, I, I so much understand much more of who I am, what's important for me, what triggers me, you know, all kinds of sides uh, of me. That's fascinating. And it really talks to the fact that relationship is a mirror and uh, we can learn so much about ourselves in relationship. But typically we do think about it as that stairs upward, but why not the other way around? That's great. I am, um, I'm thinking about something Faith wrote um, in her upcoming book about how when her and Marita started in this work, it was big to say, oh yeah, yeah, we leave emotions outside the office. Mm. And it's so interesting when we, we think about that because it's just not, it's not possible and it's not true. <laughs> if we think of systems work, they're always going to be there whether we deny them or not. And so I wonder... What are some ways that you help to create awareness around emotional intelligence when you're working with a system where that frame of mind might be more prevalent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Emotions aren't for the workplace. They're they're, they're for home. Yeah. I I immediately think I I completely recognize that. I think there's a shift going on in that sense, but still there's a lot of workplaces where emotions are for home. Yes. (laughs) And I'm immediately thinking of a team that I was recently working with together with a colleague of mine and over there the, the whole notion of, of of having emotions and showing them was really really off limits so people were really scared to show that they were maybe sometimes feeling overwhelmed or or scared to say something and I think what really happened during the sessions is that also again in the spirit of deep democracy uh, they crossed some edges and started actually voicing that and showing that and I think what really helped was that the manager of the team also led the way and did that as well, normalizing that uh, this is part of human experience. And I think once that happened, people started to really relax a bit more about that. And so I think I think everybody can lead the way there, but it's 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 fairly important that people who are in leadership positions and sort of the role of the of the, of the manager or the leader. Yeah, promote psychological safety by not just saying we're like we can be ourselves here, but actually also showing that and demonstrating that. Yeah, modeling uh, that. So that's a great circumstance. Eh? If the leader, the team leader, is able to uh, model it or even contextualize it a little bit, if even that is not happening, uh, I think how to bring it gently into the system's awareness. I'm using signals. I think, you know, our emotional experience, even before we give words to, uh, to it, uh, even maybe even before we are aware of them, it's demonstrating in our signals. And of course, this is our intelligence dimensions, picking up those signals and holding them. 
I tend to introduce it in a very gentle and light way. Like uh, I'm noticing, well, whatever the signal is, there was a light smile on your face. What's that about? And that's usually a gentle invitation to speak to what's going on on a, on an experience level more than on a cognitive uh, level. Because you mentioned the word experience, I think that that's a very accessible word yeah. for teams. Because if, if we ask about what are your emotions, that can trigger a reaction of, well, <laughs> that's not here. Yeah. But if we speak about experience, how do you experience a certain situation? That sometimes is, is much easier to speak to. Yeah. In the same vein as team coach, you can also use your own bodily signals or whatever signal uh, in the context of parallel process. It's it's almost like reporting out from over the edge, like saying, wow, I'm mm-hmm. uh, naming the emotional field. I, it feels like there's tension here. Or, and what are you noticing? Very simple, light, easy, low, well, for us, low edgy ways, but maybe for the system, very high edge, I don't know, but just modeling it for them, demonstrating, gently inviting, and then for sure acknowledging when some of the emotional experience gets expressed and somebody really steps into a courageous space to also acknowledge that, reveal that back to the system and maybe checking in like, and, and what's the impact of that? If also that's voice gets expressed. I don't know. I think the most foundational thing is, (laughs) apologies for my language, but like emotions we leave at home, it's like bullshit. Just really (laughs) trusting that, of course, that is not true. So they're here as well. But then honoring their primary, it's not in their primary to uh, bring that into an uh, expression, gently nudging them over the edge. And I love what you mentioned there, Judy, about how how this is so useful for us as systems coaches. And I think early on in this work, I was very much marginalising anything that wasn't positive. Mm. Um, I think I really I really focused on creating a positive experience, and I marginalised those parts of me that were well, I'm bored or this feels stuck right now. And actually starting to speak to that and saying oh, I'm feeling a little stuckness. Is anyone else feeling that? Or is that just me? that's opened up so much for the system. And so it's all fascinating how actually as coaches, we can marginalize our emotions, but actually that's not bringing that wisdom to the system. And it can be so invaluable sometimes to share those insights that you're getting. I I love that, Katie. And I think you're also pointing to a very important part of being a systems coach, where when we work with a team or another system, our own inner experience at that point in time, our own emotions are really important information about that system. So so being aware of that, using our own emotional intelligence for the sake of the system there, that, that's invaluable. We, we, we need that as it's one of our most important tools in our toolkit, I would say. Wow. So I love how you're, how you're bringing that, your sense of stuckness, that's what you're experiencing, but it's information for them to learn and to see what it means. You know, you're not saying this is the case, but let them talk about it. And I and I also what I really like is is the what you're describing, Judy, about making them aware of, of of the emotional field in a way. I think that's what you were also pointing to, which is of course this, the emotions that are being created within the system. And I think a very accessible way is is is, a, is something that we use quite often is the weather reporting. 
it's such a nice metaphor for for teams to tap into that emotional field without actually naming those emotions that could be quite edgy. So instead of saying, actually, uh, I feel a lot of tension, I'm really scared, you can say, well, there's a storm coming and uh, <laughs> winds are blowing. It's an easier way to relate to it sometimes. Yeah. It holds it more neutrally. Yes. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I guess where I'd love to close is perhaps you can both finally share some of how this awareness has impacted you both in your lives, perhaps personally and professionally. In my beginning with the the personal, I think a lot of the professional might have been included in what we talked about so far already. I think (laughs) what you learned from your mother, Eric, that all feelings are okay and 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 welcome. I I think for me it took me maybe forty five or fifty years to get to that point. Maybe it's too personal to share. I don't know. But anyway, I always thought that there was something wrong about my inner experience, and and then it feels like you know life becomes like this. So to learn more about that. And also normalizing it and acknowledging it, becoming aware of it, becoming more a choice. It's really like my hands automatically go open up. It's like an expansion. And now I can share my full me instead of, you know, my small identity. So for the sense of self-realization, and which is a spiritual journey in itself, in this lifetime, uh, my God, it is, has been invaluable, invaluable. So in my next life, I can teach my children at the <laughs> beginning. Feelings <laughs> 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 are okay. They, uh, they, they just are. Yeah, be curious and there's information for you there. That's beautiful. Thank you, Judy. I love that. And, and Judy... I think you are teaching your children that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like you said, I was very lucky to to have that piece of knowledge very early on. And I do think that it still took me much longer to actually also accept that really deeply within myself because emotions can be quite overwhelming. And I think that for me, my big learnings that I had along the way was that I sometimes need to take myself a little bit less seriously when I'm in an emotional state and that I, uh, I shouldn't believe everything that I think when I'm in an emotional state. And I think that is where I have really learned to uh, have much, have much more influence, uh, within myself. For example, you know, there's just this common saying, you shouldn't go to bed angry or if, if, if you are in, a, in an argument with, with, with your husband or something. But I actually think that the opposite is true. And it's so important to have a good night's sleep and things look completely different. So I think the ability to shift my own experience by, by movement, by sleep, by, by eating in time. And then, of course, being open to all those emotions, but not taking everything so seriously while I'm in them. I think that has been a major journey that I'm very happy that I I, I made some steps still learning. (laughs) I think this is a journey, isn't it? We never arrive. And thank you so much, both of you, for this gorgeous conversation. It's been full of wisdom, insights, vulnerability, openness. So thank you. And you you dance together beautifully. So I appreciate you bringing your third entity to the podcast today. 
Thank you very much, Katie, for your uh, brilliant questions, allowing us to deepen and go to, you know, go on a journey between the three of us. Yeah, it was really great, Katie. Thank you so much for all your questions and your insights. It was lovely. A huge thanks to Judy and Irene for that fascinating discussion. Here are some of my key takeaways. If we can hold our emotions with lightness and curiosity, we can move away from labeling them as good or bad and see them for what they really are, sources of information. When we build our emotional intelligence, it doesn't necessarily give us more control over our life, but it does provide us with more choice points. We can often influence our emotions more than we think. Becoming aware of the stories we tell ourselves around certain sensations, for example, butterflies in your stomach, can help us to reshape how we experience them. Are the butterflies in your stomach nervousness or could they also be a signal for excitement? Emotional intelligence creates a foundation for the other levels of intelligence. Before we can fully step into the other intelligences, social intelligence and relationship systems intelligence, we have to be aware of what's going on in the me system, as we too are a voice of the system. What do the other levels of intelligence have to teach us about emotional intelligence? Developing conscious and intentional relationships and building that we awareness of RSI, Relationship Systems Intelligence, can help us to learn so much about ourselves and develop our emotional intelligence. As we understand more about who we are, what triggers us and what brings us joy. For over 20 years, CRR Global has accompanied leaders, teams and practitioners on their journey to build stronger relationships by focusing on the relationship itself not only the individuals occupying it. This leads to a community of change makers around the world. Supported by a global network of faculty and partners, we connect, inspire and equip change agents to shift systems one relationship at a time. CRR Global's unshakable belief is that relationship matters from humanity to nature to the larger whole. For more information, please visit crrglobal.com.